Oh my goodness, girl. I'm so excited to talk to you today. So this is the first episode of Choosing a Swim, the podcast all about centering oneself and living a radical, brave, and thriving life. Um, so over here, we're not apologizing about nothing. We're living as far out as we can, and we're dreaming as big as we possibly could. And that's that's just the mantra. So here, um, I'm often asked, why choosing to swim? What is it with you and swimming? Well, first of all, I've always loved swimming, and I started swimming at a really early age. And some of my fondest memories are during that time in my life when I first learned to swim. Um, but I also started to understand community around the time where I started to swim. Um, my father started teaching me swimming when I was younger. However, when I went away to camp is really when I understood what it took to choose to swim, especially as a young multicultural black lady um, well, young lady at the time, because I was only about 11 or 12. Um, and I went to this camp. The camp was a month long. And there was no form of currency involved in this camp. All of our meals were shared as a community. There were camping grounds where I learned to camp for the first time. I learned how to swim in a lake that had three swimming levels. The first level only went up to six feet. Actually, no, I think that's wrong. So the first level went up to three and a half feet. And then the second level was from six to eight feet. And the third level was 12 feet to 22 feet. That third level scared the hell out of me. I thought there is no way possible I'm ever going to be a third level swimmer. I mean, that's like you're a professional swimmer. You're like Michael Phelps in it. And I just didn't think that something like that was gonna be possible for a black girl from Brooklyn. Like, there's no way. Um, so I, as soon as I saw the six to eight feet, I thought, well, maybe I could do something in the middle. Maybe I could be moderate. And I spent a lot of my life trying to be moderate, doing just enough, not coming out as a lesbian. Just in many ways, swimming was the epitome of my life because I wanted to know enough to be able to do it at the time, but not enough to thrive. And I thought, so what better way to go out than with a bang? So the thing was, I started training for the second level because a lot of the people I like to spend time with were swimming in the second level. And I noticed that they didn't have to share a lot of the space in the first level of swimming because the majority of the kids were black and brown at this pool and most of them could not swim at the second level. But I noticed the lighter that people were, the further out they went. And yeah, there were a few anomalies, but for the most part, this held true. And I always asked myself why. And then it hit me, I don't have to stay here. So I started prepping myself. I learned how to tread water there and I watched other people and I rehearsed and I practiced and I kept treading and treading and treading. Then one day I said, you know what? I'm not really somebody who can just keep on practice. I've got to jump. So I jumped in the water and I swim the two laps that are required. And then it said, you have to tread water 
for 90 seconds. And I was like, oh, that's going to be, you know, really hard. But then I'm, I'm just going to stick it out. So I stuck it out for the 90 seconds and I made it into the second water. But once I got into second, I noticed I started to get an individualized attention because now I have a skill set. I am now known as someone who can swim. So now the lifeguards are coaching me to make my swimming better as I'm in this second level of water. I can choose to stay moderate, but something tells me I need to take the third level test. And so I do it. But the thing I learned along that way is when I'm in the first level, I'm on the ground level. I like to compare that to poverty. And then when I'm in the six to eight foot level, the second level, I like to compare that to moderation, to middle class living. It's the idea that I'm free, but I have not secured freedom for myself. And I enjoy some liberties, like I'm starting to get swimming, coaching, I'm getting training. But if I allow myself to stay in those four little squares, I will be in second level forever. I have to make a conscious decision to uplift myself out of this water and shoot for something higher. Shoot for the third level, which had no squares on it. It was just a rope around it because you couldn't really put a dock on the 22 foot water. And that would take away from its freedom. And so it was never gated. And I would always look and be like, those people must be amazing. And then when I got there, those people, they were just like me. Look at that, all that time being inspired by someone who was just like me. I could have been the entire time just like them. Instead, I held myself back a little bit. And so that's what I wanted to make this podcast for. I wanted to help women, in particular women of color, but really all women. And some men too, if you're inspired by this podcast, hell yeah, come through. But definitely non-binary folks, trans folks, everybody's in here. I wanted to bring about a place where I say women because one, I'm a woman. And I understand our plight in this world, but I also understand our power. And I understand the place we take up, especially in feminism. But I also understand how feminism hasn't always included girls like me. I'm a fat, multicultural, but also black woman. And so even in the mixed space, the way that I'm mixed looks different than how other people are. The way that I'm a lesbian looks different than how other people exist, but I hadn't found a space that was for everybody for real, especially not when it came to sustainability and environmentalism. Now, this podcast ain't just about the environment, but I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about it. I'm going to spend time fighting for your life. That includes the air you breathe, the water you're drinking, the education you receive, the politics that are being played around you, 
the freedom and the access that you could have for yourself and ways to inspire you to dream bigger and better than you've ever done before. And I'm going to bring brands on here who are encouraging us to do the same thing. I want people on here who are inspiring us to talk about the good talk. I'm ready for change in my life. And I just got tired of dreaming about making a podcast and talking to you. And I decided that I just had to do it. So what are you inspired by? What is it that you need to do? What projects haven't you started? I look forward to meeting every one of you girls someday at my tours. And that's coming soon. I am so funding. I'm going to tell you right here, right now, from the first episode, the goal is you need to subscribe. You need to hit that follow button because we are going on tour, a fully self-funded tour. So as of right now, I have New York City, LA, Atlanta. Are just some of the many tour stops that I planned, but I'll be introducing more as time passes on. So what you can do is you can write me a message, blow up my DMs at O-N-Y-X Onyx, M-A-I-Z-E, Onyx Maze. You can find me on Instagram, blow up them DMs, let me know what you think about the pod. Um, so I'm just going to move right, right on into the next thing. And what the bulk of this episode is going to be about. So as unfortunate as it is, it's 2020, which means it's another election year. And I am not going to talk to you about the election, but I am going to talk to you about radical politics and why I consider myself a leftist. And I think it's an important introduction to this episode and to the show for you to know that I found myself on the left very surprisingly, because even though I'm a black person and I've experienced poverty and I've, I've worked in education for five years, um, working with the special education population, and but my experience teaching and working with students was unique because, well, I should say in supporting students was unique because I traveled from one school to another. Um, and floated around from wealthier neighborhoods to poorer neighborhoods. There was one school year where I worked for one of the poorer school, uh, I guess, districts. And then in that same year, I worked at the one of the top seven uh, middle schools in New York City, more or less number one in Queens. Um, so those two experiences were so unique even though in New York City, we centralize all of our resources, right? And we pay our good taxes. And I think of myself as like a great liberal at the time. The years between 2014, 2016, I actually started in 2012 on the job. I worked there for nearly five years. And the fifth year is when I got clear that like, I hated it because I couldn't make the kind of change that I wanted to, to the systems at play. And I realized I'm a systems kind of girl. I like the overhead. I like to change the structure of the entire society. I'm not really about incremental changes. Um, and it took me a while to understand that about myself. Now I have no idea what exactly I'm going to be doing in November. 
So don't even ask me who I'm voting for right now. Um, I am registered with the Green Party. Um, and that happened more recently in the past couple of months. Um, now it's 2020. So if you're hearing this later than now, over the past couple of months, I changed from, uh, well, actually, a year ago, I was an independent. Then after having been a Democrat since I could vote, which was at 18, I've only been a voter for, was it eight years? So not that long, but long enough to have changed my party four times. Um, so first I was a Democrat for a long time. Then I changed for independent for one year, but then I noticed I wasn't getting a lot of the same people on my, um, my ballots, even in local elections. And so like, I couldn't even vote for, uh, uh Bernie at the time during the primary. So I changed to Democrat because he changed from independent and I go at the time where Bernie went, but my allegiance is not a permanent thing because his allegiance to me was not permanent. Um, and by me, I mean us, the left, the collective. I think one of my expectations may be unique to some of my other uh, left-leaning or progressives, as we like to call ourselves, um, was that I had hoped for a joint ticket between him and Warren. And when I didn't get that, I still stayed the course, but once he supported Biden full throttle, I could not get on board with that. And I couldn't get on board with it because it became clear to me that both the Republican and Democratic parties have a job to do and that job they're doing together. So they may front to us like they hate us so much, but I think they collaborate on a lot of issues together to keep the masses out of knowing what's going on. And I think they're kind of kind of like puppeting us. And I don't want to be fed to. I want my... I want bottom up management. I want my country to be run by the people who are doing the labor. And I don't think that that's a very radical idea per se. I am comfortable imagining a new world and a new society. And that's kind of what I want to do in this podcast. I want to imagine what that new society could look like. And maybe so that's not left, right, center. I'm really trying to get to a point when we can benefit. And if you're middle class, you're really middle class. And if you're poor, you're not starving. I want to make it so that being, well, I'd like to eliminate poverty altogether. So let me just say that. And that sounds radical to some people, but why do people have to starve? Why do people have to be homeless? I don't understand. We have so many empty apartments in New York right now, but the homeless population is growing. And so like people are so angry that black folks move into their neighborhoods, right? So this one um, change that Trump made where he was banning people um, in upward mobility projects from not projects as in housing projects, but projects as in f uh, government funded uh, rents, stabilization and subsidies like section eight, also known as section eight or HUD um, from moving into their communities and said, you know, the biggest threat for suburban white women is to make sure that crime doesn't enter their communities because they're so scared of black people. Apparently that's not even something that I support or believe in. And in fact, I'll be honest, um, for the majority of my life, I lived in a black neighborhood, but 
over the past four years, I've been living in a white, predominantly white, or white Hispanic rather, neighborhood. Um, and I know that my access has changed. I know that the two lives that I led were not the same. I have lived on both sides of the street and I know it's not equal. That's why I live here. I know it's not equal. And and for a majority of my life, like black folks were scared to move out of our communities because it's like, well, then that makes me a sellout. No, it doesn't. It makes me someone who made a decision for myself that I'm going to have access to things that I'm paying for. That side of the street does not belong to them. By them, I'm referring to white people. And if you're white and listening to this, make space in your community so people can move in. Make space in your community so that you can share the resources. You know, there are white folks who say, I'm not racist, but then when it comes tax time, they never want their taxes to go up, right? So they don't want an increase in equity and resources to be shared and spread around. And a lot of times they live in small communities. I didn't see this until I left New York City where out in Florida, which is where I live, um, specifically Miami. In Miami, you have where the streets, uh, well, not the streets, but the neighborhoods are separated and they're like their own little mini cities. So every 10, 20 blocks, you can have a different city. What the fuck is that? I have never seen that until I moved here. Um, but in New York City, everything is so centralized. So we have one government agency deciding one thing. For example, here, it's so hard to stop police brutality, for example, and to monitor police as a whole because there are so many police departments, you know, and, and they're strong. Their power is strong. Their governance is strong. These budgets are strong. So that's something I'm definitely taking into consideration. I'm thinking about how I can be radical and how I can reimagine my city. I want to take the words radical and left off the table. I feel like they have become almost criminal. It's, it's kind of appalling that thinking differently about the structures that are controlling my life that I pay for is radical, criminal, and intolerable, right? And so I have people in the middle bullying me to get behind one person and get Trump out of office. Trump is not necessarily the worst thing that's ever happened to Black people. And I think there's so much hysteria around him right now that makes it feel like he's the worst, but, but he's not. He did incite fear in me at one point definitely during the protest. And I did protest. Um, but that's not really my issue there. My issue is really the history of Black people in America and in the world has been one where we have been criminalized, dehumanized, and we are owed a great debt. And still, along with my indigenous brothers and sisters and folks, they too have been dehumanized, radicalized, you know, and, and, and they're owed a debt as well, a debt in land, and we're owed a debt in paid labor. 
and in resources. We both are owed. Uh, so I guess my point here is it's time that we stop thinking so small. He's a four to eight year window. And we become so radical that we can stop him. Because any attempt to say no to him is going in for a civil war. So we, we yes, we need to get rid of him. But I can do that in multiple ways. And I can fathom that in multiple ways. And I'm not going to be continuously bullied out of voting for the Green Party or any other independent party. I think I was bullied out of that in 2016 when Trump, Trump was the threat. And there was Hillary Clinton. And then there was this idea that like, oh, if you vote for Hillary, then you're, I mean, if you vote for the Green Party, Jill Stein was the candidate at the time. And that means you're still in the vote from Hillary. If I voted for Jill, I wasn't voting for Hillary anyway. The idea that if I, if you give me a third, fourth, fifth option, it lessens the percentage of the main person. Well, a very small percent of the American population actually participates in voting. We don't have the kind of voting turnout, voter turnout that we need to because we have so much voter suppression. And for a long part of our history, it takes a lot of literacy to even be able to cast the vote. It's not just I vote Democratic all the way down or I vote Republican all the way down. Most people, I just looked at my local election. My local election had a 27% participation that means any new voters that are entering the process and casting votes for independence are not taking anything from anyone else. But yet we kind of frame that if it's not a vote for Biden, then it's a vote for Trump. No, it is not. I'm not even in your party. I haven't been in your party majority of my life. What makes you think? And even I was in the party, you know, five or six years, but there were no elections then. I missed the Obama election. I was, it wasn't of age. And then after that, um, the first election for me was when I supported Bernie and Hillary Clinton was chosen as the candidate. And because of the voting laws in Florida, I was blocked from being able to cast the vote then. So I didn't vote for anyone. But if I was going to vote that day, I would have voted for Joe Stein. But at the time, I had already become an independent after Bernie, I feel, had the election, the primary election stolen from him, in which I feel has happened a second time based on his lack of coverage in the media and him being framed as the left or socialist or like even the phrases that he's like ruining the moderate or liberal party. And it's like, no, you guys ruin yourselves. You guys don't want to make change. Don't want to live in a different society. The truth is the Democratic Party is not democratic. The Democratic Party is a centrist, moderate party that prefers incremental change and does not want to radicalize systems, does not want to make great change, and does not want lives to really improve. The moderate party wants to keep things as they've always been. And the Republican Party, is rather than being center-left like the Democrats, they're center-right. But they're both center. And so, to me, there's if, if you two share the center, 
then there's much more in common than there is apart. So I don't even let there be Republican and Democratic divisiveness in my social circles. But I always let people know, one, I'm not a religious person either. I'm an atheist. I live on the left. And we can have a conversation further along in the episodes. I'm going to dedicate an entire one just to talking about faith and race um, and faith and equity. And that's just just his own freaking topic, y'all. Um, but I will say this. Hold your judgments. Even if you come to me and let's say you are Christian, which the majority of this country is, Christian or Catholic. Um, I was raised as a Muslim. And we'll definitely dive into that a lot more of how I went from actually growing up in a dual faith house. So my mother is Catholic. My father was Muslim, but I was raised Muslim, um, but with an awareness of Catholicism. And I'm educated on many religions, but for myself, I have chosen to be a secular humanist, a.k.a. an atheist. Um, and we'll talk more about that later and we'll talk about that journey and how I've come to be and how, why I feel so free in that today than I've ever felt about anything else in my life. Um, and I don't think there are a lot of, first of all, there's not a lot of atheists of color, but of them that are out here, they're typically not verbal about being this free. But I know plenty of white atheists and white agnostic folks. So we'll definitely dive into that because that's another issue of intersectionality. And the, the role that faith has played in Black people is not a role where it was chosen by us. And that's something that we're going to need to digest and really take in and figure out how we could either have better relationship with faith as a complete subject and spirituality, but how we can just just come to grips with how we got here and like not try to fight that, you know, and, and that's kind of where I'm at is like, I accept the past is the past, but I'm looking at my future. And so my future needs freedom in every way possible. Uh, furthermore, if I'm jumping back into this political landscape, one of the things that actually attracted me to the Green Party has nothing to do with casting some revenge ballot. I am thrilled about the Green Party. I'm so thrilled that when I logged onto the Green Party's website, I read their policies and I started crying. When have you ever heard of a person reading policy and dropping tears? Like when in the fuck ever them has that happened? I mean, the policies are so life-changing that I can actually begin to see what the land looks like, what the spaces look like, what the offices look like. And it's not utopia because they're not designing a utopia. They're designing a new world in which systems have way less inequities than they do now. A world in which the masses has a opinion and gets to voice it. Not one where the masses dominates, not one that is just so radical that it's unrecognizable or that it looks like the purge, but one where we're like free, where we're collective, where we're a community, where we're in unison, 
And that's powerful. One that doesn't have fascism in it. As I've noticed, um, Trump spends an awful lot of time talking about the Black Lives, the Black Lives Matter protesters, but he specifically focuses on Antifa, the anti-fascists. And I think that their definition is pretty inherent because they do not support fascist governments and governments trying to take over the voice of the people. And so for him, they're his greatest enemy, not Black Lives Matter, but the anti-fascist movement because they let people get confused about what the goals are here. The goals are we shouldn't have a fascist society because that is inherently racist and our country is inherently racist and not allowed the expressions of freedoms, freedoms like protesting. That is why Antifa is coming outside. That's why Antifa is getting involved and Antifa is kind of taking the opportunity to voice a reason of why we should never have a situation like this in the first place. However, Antifa is largely white and they commit sometimes acts of violence during protests. Protests are not peaceful. I will repeat, protesting is not a peaceful act. The act of a protest is a violent act. Any government that suggests otherwise is a liar. I remember I marched in um, Occupy Wall Street. Occupy Wall Street is very in line with the anti-fascist movement. And it was when largely white folks in New York City were really, really gung-ho about this. And I used to work at the TGI Fridays nearby as a teen. And I joined the fight because economic justice is very important to me. And no, I don't want corporations taking over our government. No, I don't want corporations taking over our agency. And yet, there were people standing outside saying Obama's got to go on signs. I hadn't even seen anything like that in my life where people were so heated and passionate about a particular politician. Excuse me, about a particular politician. But I, I hadn't had that kind of passion yet. And I was still trying to understand what happened here, but I knew a lot of workers were being, un, you know, uh, poorly paid, poorly compensated. Meanwhile, corporations were getting richer and richer. And then we had the debt crisis and it well, in 2008. But the interesting thing is 2008 could have been prevented. And this is why everything comes back to race in America, because 2008 had some early symptoms. Let's say it was a disease right? The economic crisis of 2008 was really more like a disease and it had some early symptoms, right? Those symptoms were the foreclosures of black households whose homes went under because they refinanced their homes. A lot of older black folks were experiencing this as well. When we made noise about it, no one responded. It was quiet for the financial industry. So I like to say, if America catches the cold, Black people are the first folks sick. And if you look at coronavirus and the impact that it had on Black folks and the ways in which it's not saying that they would get it more, but if they got it, they would end up sicker because of previous health disparities, because of disenfranchisement and food deserts and 
inequalities and lack of access to childcare. And then they have other issues when it came to educating children virtually, like access to childcare or like poor healthcare. There's just so many, it's almost like a spiraling effect. And so we can't take that out of the conversation. So what my goal is here is to insert it into our dialogue and into our conversation so we can get a better picture. But I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time going through politics. This is probably going to be the only one on that. Uh, More importantly, I just want to open the mind up slowly to seeing a world beyond what is being presented in front of us. I'm trying to create a world within the society. And I, I want that world to be very clear that this is what we're looking for, that we're trying to grow together in our community, in community with each other. And we don't need for the, for the world and the masses to get on board with that. We can start our coalition together and it will grow. It will find its people. There's an entire movement of people trying to create community with each other. In fact, this is the best time for that. And I think we can do this. So stay tuned for the next episode. On the next episode, I'll be talking about Airbnb, gentrification, and unequal access to the new sharing economy and how we can use the environmental crisis and Airbnb and and home sharing to move forward instead of that.